Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. This October, join Just Ingredients in the fight against breast cancer with our special breast cancer gift box. Inside, you'll find a selection of our favorite pink products, all designed with non-toxic ingredients to support those affected by breast cancer. Enjoy our strawberries and cream protein powder, guava mango electrolytes, very berry lip balm, special edition breast cancer lotion, and microfiber makeup remover cloth. Each order is packaged in customized breast cancer boxes, making it a perfect gift for survivors or those undergoing treatment. Currently on sale for $20 off, Order your box now at justingredients.us. Jalee Bicharat is co-founder and CEO of Naked Poppy, a clean beauty company and winner of a 2022 Beacon Award. She founded Naked Poppy after surviving breast cancer and then vowing to help women reduce toxins in their lives. Jalee previously served as CMO, VP, Marketing at Amazon, OpenTable, Upwork, and Eventbrite. She speaks and writes frequently, primarily on topics of concern to women. A graduate of Harvard College and Harvard Business School, Jalee also serves on the boards of Novi, Skillshare, and Wealthfront. Welcome everyone back to the podcast. Today I'm really excited for our guest because she is someone I met years ago at a conference. I love what she has done, what she stands for, And she is one that battled breast cancer. And since we've been talking about breast cancer recently with October being Breast Cancer Month, I wanted to invite Jalee onto my show. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Will you just start by telling my listeners just a little bit about yourself and your background and what you do? Sure. I don't know how far back to go, but I will start at the very beginning, which is to let everyone know I was born in England, but I grew up in Iran. My parents are both Iranian, and that's significant for a couple of reasons. The first is that I grew up at a time and a place where we lived quite a natural life. Processed foods were foreign. You know, we cooked from scratch. We grew stuff in the garden. We, we ate a certain way. Exercise was built into our daily life. We, it was not a sedentary life. And so that really influenced uh, the way I think about lifestyle. That's number one. Number two, I actually grew up at a time and a place also where a lot of young girls were destined for marriage, but my parents were different. My father in particular used to say something that always stuck with me, which is he used to say, remember Jale, and this is, I'm a little girl, I'm eight or nine, and he's saying, remember that they can take anything away from you. They can take anything, your home, your, you know, your possessions, except what's in your mind. Mm. And I remember growing up just thinking, well, he's teaching me to revere education, which he did do. And he was very, both of them were very supportive of me getting an advanced education. What I didn't expect was we actually did lose everything. So in the Iranian revolution of 1979, we woke up one day and my parents fled. I was in college. It was really scary. Actually, I was really scared. Like I was scared I couldn't finish school. And then I remembered what he had told me. And throughout my life, through thick and thin, every time something is really difficult, two things come to mind. One, hard to beat that in terms of loss. And number two, I can use my mind and we can all use our minds to overcome what seems insurmountable in the moment. So I wanted to share that as sort of how I grew up. I came here to go to college and stayed ever since. (laughs) 
Wow. And I've worked in, in technology companies, actually, my whole career, from Amazon to OpenTable to Eventbrite. And then most recently, I founded a company called Naked Poppy, a clean beauty company. We were there for four years, and we've just made the tough decision to shutter our online store. But I hope the idea of clean, I know the idea of clean will live on because even you, Carolyn, have wonderful clean skincare products. So I've loved what you've done and your background is incredible. And like I said earlier, you are a breast cancer survivor. And so will you just share a little bit about your journey, maybe how you found out you had breast cancer, what type of treatments you went through, things like that? Yes. It's funny, the story doesn't get that easier to tell, and yet I think it is important for every breast cancer survivor who's comfortable doing so to share the story because we can really help each other. Unfortunately, it's more common than we would like. But here's my story. It was the year 2007. I had a mammogram in August. Everything was clear. I step Mm -hmm. into the shower in December, so four months later, and I feel the slump. It's like that feeling, you know, that heart-stopping well, I had a clear mammogram, but of course I called the doctor and I went and got checked out right away. And oh my God, it was breast cancer. So number one, you know, please remember to do your self-check. That, that's lesson wow. number one. And then number two, pay attention, of course, if you find it. And I did get that call and it's the call no one wants to get. And I did have it. And I was really scared. <laughs> and it was, you know, if you want to ask like that first reaction, it was this why me moment. Right. I'm I sure. was a person, I told you earlier, you know, I always cooked food from scratch, very much real food, was good about sleep, worked out daily. What more can you want? <laughs> I felt a little ripped off and like it was unfair, but I realized in hindsight and during that whole journey that there are two toxins I had overlooked. So if this can help even one person, I'd like to share what they are. And the first is I think the biggest toxin of all is probably stress. Oh, yeah. Right? You know what I'm... And so I hadn't done a great job of managing my stress. I hadn't. So I set off on this journey to learn to meditate, to learn to find grounding in the garden, to learn to breathe better, and to just constantly remind myself that you are not wired for low stress, LA, like a lot of people. You're not wired to take care of yourself. The less time you have for this stuff, the more it means you need to do it. So that was number one. And it's a lifelong journey to to manage stress and to be present and to be mindful and to learn to not let that toxin enter my system. And then the second one is environmental toxins. I hadn't really thought about what I put on my body as much, but especially with beauty products, what's near your eye and what's on, you can swallow what's on your lips. Your skin, its job is to keep things out. It's not that things can't get in, but what people don't think about what they put near their eye actually can get absorbed by the mucous membrane because that's its job. So that's what set me on the path to clean beauty. So interesting. Yeah, stress is really hard because I think so many people battle stress and don't even think about it. I know for two years, the first two years of starting this business, I actually did not manage my stress well until I started putting on weight and not feeling good. And I was like, oh, wow, I need to take a step back and manage my stress. And I always tell people, it's really hard to lower your stress, but we Mm -hmm. can all manage our stress. So by recognizing when we're stressed, taking deep breaths, you know, when we're stressed, meditating, like you said. So that's really interesting that you say that. So back to your breast cancer journey, do you mind sharing what type it was and what treatments you did and things like that? Not at all. I'm happy to share. 
So because of the four months, it was stage one breast cancer. It was ERPR negative, HER2 positive. Uh, most people have estrogen or progesterone-driven breast cancer. I had something called HER2 positive. And I feel so fortunate to say that my doctor told me that in the past, people with HER2 positive passed away at a high rate. Hmm. So when I, but this new drug came along called Herceptin. And so, and actually, so what was the treatment? To answer your question, I'll share the philosophy, which is, you can imagine this, you know, I'm, I mean, I prefer lifestyle treatments. I prefer food to, you know, I don't take literally any drugs, <laughs> but when it came to cancer, I was going to layer on Western medicine. There was no doubt in my mind that this was not time for me to look for alternative diets or whatever. This was my personal choice. I had to do surgery, I had to do radiation, and I had to do chemotherapy. And my doctor even told me the chemotherapy, your chances of having it come back are low, but we don't know which one in 10 person will have it come back. And so we just give it to everyone. And I remember thinking, so here I am putting chemo into my body. It's essentially a poison that's not very targeted. But for me, it was the choice of I wanted to live and not take the chance. And so I did it. I did all three of those things. I love that you say that you chose what was right for you. And that's what I always tell people is go, you know, see what the choices are out there and do what's best for you. But during the process, during the recovery process, I'm sure you still live to a very healthy lifestyle. 100%. I mean, I dialed it up even. So growing up in Iran, we didn't like learn about the Mediterranean diet. We ate the Mediterranean mm -hmm. diet. You know, fruit was dessert. Fruit, what, the huge platters of fruit were always in my grandmother's house. We ate the rainbow. And also on the days where I possibly could, I worked out during chemo. I went for walks with my husband every single day. We'd go up a hill. And I remember the mental mantra that I had in my head was this too will pass. Mm. My last chemo is May 5th. May 5th will come and go. It's hard to be facing six rounds of chemo because they also get, the, the side effects get progressively worse. So I just kept telling myself, this too will pass. I also, a friend of mine suggested that I go see a healing touch practitioner. Do you know what a healing touch is? It's essentially a person who's very lovely and she gives you visualizations and she does, you know, does these, what she calls healing touch, which barely touches you, but is meant to be healing. To this day, Carolyn, I actually don't know if it, physically healed me, but it was such a wonderful mental health experience to be in such community with someone I loved, you know, who understood and who was so sympathetic that for my mental health, I went and saw her. And I do recommend that if you possibly can, if you can afford it, do whatever self-care is needed to get through what is temporary, we hope, and the odds are in your favor because there are a lot of ways of combating breast cancer these days. But forget the mom mode. Forget how you're always taking care of other people. Allow yourself to do whatever it takes to for your mental health. Yeah, I know those that struggle through breast cancer deal with depression and anxiety a lot. Obviously, I mean, that's a hard thing to go through. But I was reading the stats the other day that it's 70% of them deal with depression. And so that is really good advice to, you know, take care of yourself. I know it's hard, though, because my sister battled breast cancer when she had four little kids. So we all had to step in and try to help be mom while she, you know, battled that. So like you said, when you get that phone call, it is really nerve wracking and scary. 
What advice can you give to listeners that are maybe battling breast cancer or those that are afraid of getting it? What, what advice could you give them? Well, let's start with those who are afraid of getting it. Fear is not helpful. And one thing I've also learned in my journey to manage stress and to manage kind of my own thoughts and mental health around this stuff is that we want to do all the right things to increase the chances of a healthy life. Clean products, clean eating, good sleep, as much exercise as you can possibly do, et cetera. But we don't want to turn it into such a lifestyle of trying to control every detail that fear and anxiety kick in to the point where we said this already, and I think you agree, Carolyn, the fear and anxiety itself becomes a form of toxin. Mm -hmm. So as much as you can remind yourself to be grateful that at this moment you are healthy. <laughs> that That's good advice. Really good advice. You know, if you do have breast cancer, if you do, if you are in the same boat I was in, the big thing that I learned, give yourself grace and accept help. People naturally want to help when they find out you have that illness. I don't know of anyone who's had it. And I, you know, I, I of course came in community with a lot of women who had where people don't want to help you. And I found actually the most helpful thing people could do is what you just said. Take my kid, especially the days after I had chemo. Number one, I wasn't in good shape. I had one older daughter. She was, she was self-sufficient, but my younger son. And number two, I actually didn't want him to see me. Mm. So the friends who took my kid were the, were real friends, you know, yeah. took him to play, took him to do stuff. It's hard to be a mom and be going through it and not wanting your kids to be upset or worried. And so that is a great way to be a friend. Obviously bringing food, bringing comfort is important too. By the way, now that you mentioned that, is it of interest to your listeners? Do you think to share how to be supportive of someone? I was just going to ask that because I know that I tried to be supportive of my sister and I was just going to say, we all wanted to help and gave up a lot and sacrificed a lot to help her. But I was going to ask you, do you have advice for those that are the supporter? What do you best suggest to them? Yeah. When I was in the shoes of the person who was sick, I actually learned how important it is to be strong for that person. There were two, I have two anecdotes of what didn't work that taught me how to think about it when someone else might be sick. Uh, and of course, everyone's different. The problem is you don't know what they need. You have right. no idea. So it's important not to make assumptions. But the two anecdotes I'll share, because I think they're illustrative. One family member called me and was really upset and was like crying and so upset. And I found myself having to comfort them. And I hung up and I thought, you know what? This is good learning for me. <laughs> if someone else is sick, I'm going to pull myself together if I'm worried, I'll call someone else, some other family member. If I need to cry, I'll cry. But in front of that person, you need to be strong. They don't have the energy to comfort you. That's really it's good advice. Pretty universal. Be strong. You know, my dad told me later that he had cried. But when he was around me, I had no idea. I, he was worried I would die. <laughs> it's really cute. I didn't know that. But I never knew it at the time. Right. The second anecdote was... Another family member called a distant family member and started rapid fire interrogating me about this and that and the other. Here I am in the middle of it. Maybe I don't feel like talking about it. I actually didn't mind sharing, especially with other people going through it, but it almost felt like a nosy, intrusive. I didn't have the energy. And again, so it's, you know, let people share what they feel like sharing. For some people, it's comforting. For other people, it's not. 
in that moment, depending on how you ask. And so take your cue from the person. Oh, I like that advice. And that can work with all types of illnesses, obviously, but to be strong, cry to somebody else. That's such good advice. And yeah, some people want to talk all about their treatment and what they're choosing and others don't. So that's really great advice. For those that are listening that might be battling breast cancer right now, are there any books you suggest or any groups that were a big support to you or anything that they should look for that way? I love this question. Speaking for myself, what I found at the time was the most helpful thing for me was actually other women who had been through the same experience. Again, people came out of the woodwork. My college roommate actually had had breast cancer. She got on a plane, came to California, and we sat together. And it was the most uh, enriching afternoon. I'll, I'll never forget how she was there for me because she understood. And then in my neighborhood, I made some new friends. We used to go for walks. One of, one of them was also having chemo at the same time. She was a few steps ahead of me. Another one was a woman named Kelly Corrigan. Um, some of your listeners might actually follow her because she's built a very big following apart from her own breast cancer, but we would go for walks. She had written a book called The Middle Place about her own journey with breast cancer. Um, And the fact that her father got bladder cancer around the same time, it became a bestseller a lot. I really enjoyed it. Maybe it's because I knew her, but I think your listeners might enjoy that as well. It was also important at the time, though, to be thinking past it. Mm. I remember after I had my surgery and the doctor called to say they got all the cells, I remember asking him, oh, Dr. Greif, can I say I'm a, a, a survivor now? In other words, not a patient, but a survivor, even though I still had to do the chemo and radiation. And I could tell it was a new question because he paused and he said, actually, yes, you can. That's awesome. (laughs) Positioning it to myself as I'm a survivor really shifted my mindset and allowed me, I would tell people when they'd be like, you know, you're no, I don't. I'm a survivor. I'm just mopping up my, my chemo and my radiation, which actually wasn't fun. But it helped me see that there was life on the other side and also inspire myself. I was where I was and it was in a better place than I had been before. And so after you were cancer free and all these years since, do you worry about it coming back? What's your routine of a yearly check or six month check or? Every year when I get my mammogram, I relive it. And every year when it's been clear, I have literally be in gratitude for days. Oh, I love that. Good for you. Gratitude is a great peace of mind. And you know what? I hope none of your listeners ever get it. And those who do, I hope I wish them a speedy recovery. But even if you never got it every year, when you're clear, you should be in gratitude. It is so, so such a gift to be free of of breast cancer. (laughs) It's a true gift to be living here on this earth. I know that from trying to take my life, a different way of losing my life, but dealing with depression and almost taking my life. Life itself is a great gift and a huge blessing, even though we have hard days and hard challenges and, you know, cruddy things that happen in life, but it's still a huge blessing. So I really appreciate you saying that. Once you finish your treatment, things like that, did you change things in your life to try to be healthier or you just have always had those lifestyle choices so there wasn't much to change? Well, I doubled down on the food and exercise and, and the, 
the sleep was always good. The two big changes were this lifelong managing my stress. I found this app. It's called Calm. Oh, I know Calm. Okay. Yeah. But tell my listeners. Yeah, you can do these 10 minute snippets that just bring your, you know, your whole blood pressure down. So I started to incorporate more of those things. I found actually a Buddhist temple close by that I never knew existed. And I started attending and learning about the Buddhist teachings, which to me personally are very calming. And I learned a lot about mindfulness. As years went by, I started following people like you and Vivian and Playful Health. I did redouble my efforts. And then, of course, there was the personal care products that I hadn't thought about as much that I really started looking into. And I started getting all my makeup and skin, you know, back in the day, this was 07, 08, at the health food store, which is not a fun way to shop. So I'm really happy that now cleaner products are in more enjoyable environments. Well, let's talk about that because like you said earlier, opened a clean beauty store. And so is this what got you interested in makeup was this journey? 100%. Of course, I I used to wear sort of makeup like a lot of people. I wasn't a heavy makeup user, but I would wear it to work and stuff. And then when I started to learn about it and actually at the very beginning of my journey where I had this idea about opening a clean beauty company that would have vetted clean products. I sat down in Berkeley with this woman named Kim Harley. Some of your listeners may have heard of her or may you may have seen her on Good Morning America and just forgotten her name. But she had done a study, 100 Latina adolescent girls in Salinas right here in California. And uh, she measured their urine before giving them cleaner products. And then three days later, And she's an endocrinologist. She's someone who studies hormones and studies the impact of toxins on your hormones or known or suspected toxins. And she told me, and the study is written up, it's called the Hermosa study, that what she found was that in just three days, the toxin levels fell 30%. Wow. Meaning, I actually have it here in front of me. The level of phthalates fell 28%. The parabens fell 44%. The triclosan fell, 30, fell 36%. So these chemical ingredients are there, but you can actually remove them quickly and easily. Like what, a, what an inspiring message as well. So I found that really inspiring and wanted to pursue it. So that was just in three days. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Okay, so let's talk about clean beauty because you hear that term all the time. And is there any regulation on clean beauty or what does clean beauty even mean? What are people implying? Is it different for every company? Is it confusing? What do we know about it? I think it has been confusing because unlike organic where there's a USDA definition, there isn't a widely accepted definition of clean beauty. At Naked Poppy, we created our own definition, and then we executed it in a way that I think makes sense. And I'll explain what it is. So clean to us meant better for you, better for the environment, cruelty-free and ethically made. What does better for you mean? It means that it contains no known or suspected toxins. There are or chemicals that are suspected to be bad for your hormonal system or suspected to be carcinogenic. There are two problems that are important to understand. The first is that there's 12,500 ingredients available for use in personal care in the United States. And no consumer can possibly be able to read labels. I've been doing this for five years. And sometimes I look at a label and I ask our scientists still, 
that sounds scary. No, it isn't. That sounds benign. Actually, it's not. So what we did was we hired a scientist to review every single ingredient and every single product from every single brand we carried because she was a cosmetic chemist. She's a cosmetic, she is a cosmetic chemist. She knows beauty products. She knows she's read the studies. If she sees something she hasn't seen before, she runs out and looks at the studies. The putting the onus on the consumer is the problem with, you know what I mean? Um, And you need a scientist to do the vetting for you because you're not using what's not in the product. You're using what's in them. Right. (laughs) Also, sometimes the dose makes the poison. So that's number one. And then the other problem, and this is just unfortunate, but we have to do the best. Some stuff is inconclusive. You know, the economic incentive to do these large studies to draw conclusions about all 12,500 different chemicals out there. So we have to use our best judgment. And so we would, we took the strictest approach that, for example, with parabens, there are those that claim it's, you know, high levels of parabens were found in women with breast cancer, but is it causation or correlation? We don't know. Well, our approach was called the precautionary approach. Since we don't know, let's exclude anything with parabens. So it can mean a different thing for every company because there's no regulations like organic, like you said. So I do feel like there are a lot of more companies trying to make better products these days, but they might still not be perfect, maybe we should say. But would you agree that To me, the endocrine disruptors and the formaldehyde releasers are the two things that I'm always looking for. So I'm like, okay, if they don't have the phthalates, the endocrine disruptors, and actually I should say the parabens and the formaldehyde releasers, then we're on at least a better choice product. Yeah, I mean, there are some known or suspected carcinogens, but yes, your your hormone system is key to your health. So especially if you're pregnant, I mean, that is a time in your life where if there's one time in your life to buy (laughs) products from just ingredients or, you know, other companies where you know that they're not just following a marketing trend, but that the brand's DNA, to me, this is key. Was this brand invented to bring cleaner products to market or is it just hopping on a trend and doing the minimum to be able, you know, to say our product is clean? Shop with people who clearly are passionate about your health and who will do the right thing. If they learn something new, if a new study comes out, they're not just going to try and sell it through. They'll pull it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And why do you say for pregnant women? Because actually studies have shown, and I'm sure you can have scientists on here to be much more scientific about this, but, but this is pretty well known that the fetus is in a vulnerable stage of development And studies have shown that, for example, there was something called DES back in the 70s that, do you know what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about? Yep. Moms would take it. And then later after the daughters were born, they had a higher rate of cancer. You know, these are developing organisms. And so you want to be really, really careful what you put in your body when you're pregnant. Yeah. And I know that a lot of studies have been done on the umbilical cord where they have found a lot of these chemicals in the umbilical cord, especially the phthalates. And so something to be careful of. So I get asked all the time, well, these endocrine disruptors, it's just makeup. Like, does it really make that big of a deal? And what are your thoughts on that? If somebody says, is it that big a deal? I would say, first of all, if you're pregnant, yes, it is a big deal. Please think about your baby (laughs) and buy cleaner products. The second thing is, if you don't think it's a big deal, make sure you take care of what's near your eye. Kim Harley, that same scientist, 
also said that they found that what's near the eye made the most difference. Hmm. They don't know exactly why, but the suspicion is, and it makes common sense, that your mucous membrane near your eye, its job is to absorb. So it may be absorbing more than, say, the blush on your skin. If you do nothing else, clean up your mascara, clean up your eyeliner, clean up what's near your eye. So interesting. That actually is new news to me. I'll have to go read that study. So thank you for saying that. So we keep talking about endocrine disruptors, and then I was thinking maybe we should explain what those are to people. Can you tell them just what the endocrine disruptors are and maybe the two main ones to look for or a few main ones to look for when buying beauty products? Okay. So since I'm not the scientist, in a scientist's words, you know, why are endocrinology matters? So endocrinology is the study of hormones, which are essential for health and well-being. Hormones are biological messengers that travel throughout the body telling cells and tissues what to do. When they're out of balance or fail, this can lead to the development of chronic diseases like diabetes, thyroid disorders, cancer, osteoporosis, and obesity, and other health challenges. So yes, disrupting your endocrine system or your hormones actually has a huge health impact. The two that I hear about the most in my, you know, in having been involved with this for the past five years are phthalates. And any synthetic fragrance, please be careful about those because they typically have phthalates. And then the other perfluorinated chemicals, PFAS, PFAS. And those are often added to make a product's long wear or to make them slippery. They're, and they're everywhere. They're in Teflon pans. I'm sure you've talked about this in lots of other podcasts. And in makeup, they can be there to just make your eyeliner go on more slick. You're going to have your mascara be long wear. If you do nothing else, avoid those two. Okay, so good to know. And the tricky part with phthalates is that they don't have to list it on the label. And so it's so sneaky. It is sneaky. And that's why fragrance, because they don't have to list the ingredients in fragrance, you want to choose products with essential oils or no fragrance at all, if you can. And so I get asked this all the time. People are like, help me out. Where do I go to figure out if products are you know, clean or not? Do you have a suggestion? Just ingredients for sure. (laughs) Credo Beauty. We have our 30% off sale through the end of October (laughs) at Naked Poppy. I mean, all of our products are vetted, but they're also depleted. And hopefully there will be more and more retailers that were born to do clean beauty that aren't just jumping on a bandwagon in the future. But yeah, Credo Beauty. I trust Credo Beauty. Do you like places like EWG to look at for suggestions or not necessarily? Well, if a product is EWG verified and our products were, that means they have really also vetted them. So yes, that's that's good. That's fine. I just feel for consumers who have to go product by product and look them up one by one. Yeah. You know, it's always better when, when there's an in-house scientist who's just, where you're able to say everything here has been vetted, go have at it. So yes, EWG is a resource, but it, it is it does take time. Yeah, it is time consuming for consumers. And I think that's one of the reasons why they don't want to do it. It's time consuming and sometimes they're hard to find. They're not always on the Target shelf or the Walmart shelf. And so talking about that Target and Walmart, a big complaint is, is that the cleaner makeup is more expensive. And so how do you address that? Yeah, I think it's a valid complaint, but I also think things are changing. In terms of skincare, I mean, again, not to you know embarrass you, but your products are 
priced very excessively. When it comes to makeup, there are fewer brands. One brand that I think has really good price performance is called Lily Lolo. The lip gloss is 16, their mascara is 20. Now I know there are even less expensive brands than that, but my advice would be less is more. Instead of letting stuff pile up in your drawer, just buy one stick of mascara and use it till it's done. (laughs) How many shades of lipstick and blush do you really need? Right. You know, clean out your drawer, pick a few or better things and know that you're, you're doing what you can to build a healthier body. To me, clean beauty is a lot like organic food. You're not going to die if you shop for inorganic food and some, inner, you know, some, it can be expensive. So not everyone can do it, but where you can, you're just increasing your chances of a healthier. And the same is true with clean products. Right. I just buy fewer of them. Yeah. Simplify and consolidate. I know that for sure. And like you said, do what you can. And for instance, for me, I lick my lips all the time. And so for me, finding a better lip gloss was actually a high priority of mine just because I knew it was getting in my mouth. People that don't lip, lick their lips, maybe that's not as a, big as of a concern to them, you know? And so, of course, do what might be a concern for you. I love that advice. Thank you so much for being with us today. I love what you have talked about with your breast cancer story and your journey. And thank you for being open and sharing about that. And thank you for all that you've done with the clean beauty industry and makeup. And you've done a lot and have educated people on things. I always end my podcast with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What would you say it is? It's not an easy question, but I would say the practice of generosity because it brings you back in touch with all of the love that you feel for people, that you might feel for animals, that you might feel for the natural environment. It reminds you of all you have to be grateful for. It reminds you that in the act of giving, there's kindness and there's empathy and there's, you know, what you give is is never as valuable as what you receive in return, that good feeling you have in return. And honestly, I think that's what makes makes life rich. I love that. And I also believe generosity is part of the karma cycle. You be generous to others. And when times are hard and life is hard, people will be generous and helpful to you. And so we do what we can when we can. And, you know, when others can help us, we'll be grateful of that. So thank you so much for sharing that. And again, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.